The Sasha's making is never pretty. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Although I am ordering materials to go back to my office in Minneapolis, so who knows where future shows will come from. Today, I'm speaking with my colleague here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, Sean Gonsalves. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Good to be back. Sean is um, one of our, our main writers, uh, the one that when we have hard things, we force him to write about them. And uh, we've, uh, we've had a lot of fun on our podcast before, so um, Sean's back. Um, if you really don't want to hear Sean's voice on future podcasts, you should tell me, and then I won't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> so I want I to bring you on, Sean, because you had no shortage of, of reactions and feelings about the infrastructure bill, uh, the Senate version of it. I did. You know, my initial reaction was that it was all bad. Um, because you hate bridges. <laughs> okay, so let me clarify. The broadband portion of the infrastructure bill. Right. I love I love You love you a bridge. You I, love, I love <laughs> I love good bridges, especially since I have to cross one to get on or off uh the Cape where I live here, Cape Cod. And um I like, you know, good transportation and roads and, and those kind of things. But mm-hmm. as it related to broadband, I kinda had my hopes up that um what would come out of this would be what President Biden said he wanted to see in it. Um, and right, we could even go back further than that. I mean, you spent a lot of time researching the Affordable Accessible Internet for All Act that uh, Majority Whip Clyburn uh, put yep. together, which uh, yep. we thought at the time was a really good bill and still has a lot of really good components. But as a result of the uh, the RDOF, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund disaster at the FCC, we kind of soured on the auctions. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but there's talk about about 100 billion dollars going into broadband and right. and real money going into digital inclusion some of that is still happening but but like you said then then president biden came out and got our hopes up even higher right and then they decided to um to negotiate with republicans who um generally don't uh have the same priorities as we do on on broadband it seems right right so i had i had these high hopes i i you know i i was hoping that there was going to be this bill that was going to prioritize municipalities and nonprofits and community broadband networks and 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 with this real emphasis on you know creating a competitive market right i mean and it's worth noting i mean like because i feel like you talk about municipalities and co-ops and nonprofit business models and and people think you're going all like state control and in reality it's it's actually the means of establishing a market in which people have real choices because we don't have that today exactly when it became apparent to me that really none of that <laughs> essentially is in here, I was bothered by that. And so, uh, but then, you know, after a few days and kind of looking at things a little bit more uh, closely, I realized that there's actually some good things in this in 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 this bipartisan Senate version. And we should say that it's not at the finish line yet. Um, no, and in fact, uh, this weekend it sounds like Republicans are going to try to crash the whole thing. Because one of the things that you and I really like about it, Senator Thune, who's a yes. ranking um, member on telecom issues for the Senate um, from South Dakota. He um, wants the money to go to the FCC. Yeah, he wants the money to go to the FCC. That's just not a good idea. It's really not. <laughs> so. and, and, and in fact, yes. And that was one of actually the good things about this bill is that the money was going to the states. Um, not not as good as going to localities, I think, but but going to the states is definitely better than 
handing it off to the FCC that, you know, who we've seen, you know, doesn't have a great track record. I mean, now we're seeing stories pop up all over the place about how they're having to, you know, take back some of the money that some Ardoff winners uh, got and, um, you know, some major players. And so that's a mess, but he wants that money to go over to the FCC. Senator Thune does. Um, and then I think I also saw that the, um, the Republican appointed commissioner on the FCC um, suggested that maybe it should go to the U.S. Uh, the, the Agriculture Department. Oh, I didn't see that. Is that either Symington or Carr? I'd, I'd have to go back and look. Okay. So, so, so. But yeah. the point is, is that the, the the point is, is that there's there's how the money can be spent, but then there's now this this fight, I guess, now that threatens to torpedo the whole thing as to this of the sixty five billion, the forty two billion that was that the current version says goes to the states. There's now this fight as to whether or not that money should be doled out, not through the NTIA, but through uh, the FCC. And so there's this question of who's going to administer that. Yes. And I hope that what we'll see is that they really have a tendency to stick to what they have already agreed to. And, um, and I, I did want to say, um, I wanted to say this earlier at the beginning, but let me just do a quick promo. As Sean knows, I gave blood an hour ago, so I'm just going to blame any mistakes that I make, um, even mistakes that I normally make, uh, on being a little bit lightheaded. And everyone should go out there and be lightheaded from time to time to to help their fellow people out. Um, but Amen. I wanted to say that you know we're going to be critical of some parts of the bill, but I didn't want it to be lost on uh, the staffers who have worked really yes. hard on this. Ones that have, you know, taken objections that we've had. They've taken them seriously, and they've 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 really turned it into language that I think improves the bill. We don't want to sit around and 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 and, and confuse um, them with the people that might be working for senators that are frankly out just to support the cable and AT and T talking points. Excellent point. And, you know, with, you know, the Sasha's making is never pretty. And, um, you know, getting sort of a glimpse into that, you, you know, you see the, the some of the nuances in terms of some of the folks that are really trying to make sure that there's some really good elements in this bill. And then as you, as you, as you pointed out, you know, that can be, um, you know, that's mixed in with, with, um, with senators who, seem to be beholden to the cable and telco monopolies. Yeah, and I want to say that I I hate coming out here and sounding partisan, and I hate coming out here and, and offering a false um, you know equivalence. So you that's know, right. What what we've seen is that in general, uh, the Republican senators have really not wanted to uh, pursue market relate market reforms to actually have more choice. They're trying to really limit where the money can go. And I think to really push it ineffectively to only rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats have tended to have a better understanding, but with a 50-50 Senate, we would need every Democrat to agree with us in order to achieve a policy that would actually result in more competition in cities. And that right. did not happen. And right, so cause... there's one or two Republicans that were more on our side than, mm-hmm. than three or four Democrats. Right. And so like, there is that crossover period there. That, that, and that's a, an important uh, point to note. We don't want to get into all of this partisan bickering per se, and 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 certainly don't want to overgeneralize. But yeah, that's that's a that that's a because if you a and me had a few to... drinks, we just explain that we hate everyone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't I don't want to talk out of school, but that's the sense I get from you every now and then. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, it's very frustrating. Um, 
just I, to see. I also it, wish the world totally worked perfect perfectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's um, what can I say? It's um, it's a hell of a burden to carry when you're when you have such high hopes for the world. And, oh, I thought you were going to say when you know everything and get everything right all the time. That's my oh. impression of you. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit more about this infrastructure bill, um, and then we're going to talk about some cities uh, that that Sean's been writing about recently. Um, just a couple of quick hits on some interesting city stuff. But um, within the infrastructure bill, then you know, one of the things I want to dig into quick is you mentioned. So there's like 65 billion for broadband type things. Uh, there's yep. like 42 billion, I think, for broadband infrastructure. Right. Right. And most of that goes to the states. I forget if the one billion for middle mile is included in that 42 billion figure or not, but it doesn't really matter that much for this purpose. I mean, you know, billions of dollars. Um, And and what's interesting is it goes to the states and, you know, you and I have made our peace with the fact that some states are really going to be smart with how they spend this money and some Mm -hmm. states are not. And right. I think that is still preferable to a situation where the FCC could basically screw it up for every state. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, it, although, you know, keep in and you're right, it's going to be a mix. There's going to be certain states that are going to do good stuff with it. And then there's we got to re- remember that there's 17 states that ban or prevent municipalities in some form or fashion or erect barriers to, to, for municipalities to even, you know, get into broadband. I would suspect that those states were probably going to see that money handed off to you know the, the the big the big incumbents in 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 those in those markets. That's right. Although, and I mean, I feel like some of the people we've talked to have been you know quite explicit about this, and often they're from states that are not Maine or um, Mississippi, uh, two states that are that are quite different, but nonetheless have both reacted uh, pretty intelligently with CARES Act funding and other funding recently. Um, but one of the things that I see is a dynamic in which, like, let's just say for a second that there's like a governor and a legislature in an, a state that we'll call, who, I'll, I'll pick on North Carolina. Um, and um, North Carolina actually has a governor who wants to get rid of the ban on munis because the governor th- properly recognizes that that we should have more investment, not less investment in broadband networks. Um, but it, if all this money comes in and and does not result in better service. I think what we'll see is the opposing party, in this case, the Democrats, will in the next election, hopefully make a big deal out of the fact that Republicans in the legislature squandered this money. Mm-hmm. And and so that's progress. That's that's better than what we see with Ardoff, where nobody really knows what's going on except for a few of us eggheads. And um, and there's no political price to pay for it, really. So. Right. So I think even in states that waste the money, there's still then the opportunity for hope and progress moving down the line. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's, I, I don't want to be so doom and gloom to feel like, you know, if this infrastructure bill doesn't include, you know, the stuff that we'd like it to and, and um, that it's, you know, the end of the road for community broadband in, in, in certain states, that's certainly not the case. Um, but it would have been nice for this to be that watershed moment that we thought it may, may have turned out to be. Um, right. I mean, there was hope that, that they would actually overturn all of the state bans. Exactly. Um, that would, right. mm-hmm. Right. And that that there's nothing in there that suggests that they're going to do anything close to that. So, I mean, that in and of itself would have been a tremendous victory. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we would have seen a lot of new investment in in many states, not every state, um, but certainly in many of them. So what else is happening in this infrastructure bill that you want to talk about? We, we I think we've already kind of, you know, generally said that, you know, we think the good part is or at least I think the good part is that, you know, the money going to the states 
and that it specifically calls for the states to work with localities and mm-hmm. gives localities an opportunity to comment on the state's digital equity plans, which is a, you know, a, a prerequisite for you know getting this money. Um, so that that's that I would say is a, a good part of this. The bad is as we've talked about there's no structural change there's nothing in the bill that suggests that there there's any interest in promoting competition in solving the digital divide in non-rural areas and frankly the ugly part you know going with this good bad and the ugly analogy the ugly part is that it to my mind even though this is good on the face of it which is that it requires that it does require the fcc to come up with these rules within two years to basically to as the language is something like to facilitate equal access to broadband internet service in areas that you know in cities uh, where there's been um, what many call digital redlining, leaving certain uh, neighborhoods, certain uh, parts of communities behind uh, in terms of access to broadband. And so, one thing this bill does is it requires the FCC to basically come up with this like plan of how we're going to address that. The reason why I say it's ugly is because in my mind, it's essentially saying, let's kick the can down the road a couple of years to address something that we know is happening right now. Yes. Yes. So this is, um, it's a, it's a definitely an issue of concern and this gets into multiple things relating to the FCC. We can take a, a quick detour, which um, we just, we talked about this a little bit, um, maybe more than a little bit on the episode of connect this that went up uh, last Thursday where we were talking about tribal broadband uh, with Matt Rantanen and Jessica Engel, as well as my co-host Travis. And um, I we're in a situation in which, because the Biden administration has not nominated an FCC chair or another FCC commissioner and made Jessica Rosenworcel or Jeffrey Starks the chair, then uh-huh. um, we're in a position where that if they nominated a person today, it would probably be until November or December until that person was confirmed. Jessica Rosenworcel has to step down in January, as I understand it, which means that the Senate Republicans have a real incentive now to drag things out because uh-huh. they will have a 2-1 majority. The the FCC is supposed to have a 3-2 majority in favor of the party that has the presidency. And and I really worry about the ability of of um of the FCC to do anything when the Senate um Republicans who very well may be in power again in just another year, mm-hmm. uh, year and a half, um that uh, we may not see the FCC doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, and so like, then we're going to wait years for a study and then like, they're going to come up with stuff. Oh, like now we should figure out how to implement something. And then that's going to be another year or two. And then they're going to like, maybe get in the courts. And, and this is a recipe for not solving the problem. Right. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm deeply skeptical of an FCC study on this issue as well. Yeah. So that's, that, that, that's the reason why I say that, um, I would consider that one of the ugly portions of it, particularly because I, you know, I just recently came across this Brookings Institution uh, study that, you know, found that that city dwellers are three times more likely to lack broadband access than than folks in rural America, which is something that we, uh, you know, tried to point out in the um, uh, policy brief that we, you know, that we that we, we did it. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> well, so it was, you know, that was, you know, it's that's something that we know is a present reality and for this bill to basically treat it as like a back burner issue, something that we'll get to, we'll, we'll study it and, you know, and then who knows, maybe we'll throw out some vouchers that people can, you know, 
Well, that is hey, another part of this bill, right? I mean, that's another part of this bill is that it's uh, many billions of dollars to to establish permanently what we've called the emergency broadband benefit. Mm-hmm. It would um, it would have a lower total benefit amount, uh, I believe, and but it would be permanent, um, subject to Congress occasionally giving it more money because the money doesn't just grow on trees, um, and it's not set up in a to fund itself the way the Universal Service Fund historically has. Um, but yeah, this would be, I mean, it is one way to address it, but, um, well, let me, let me pause for a second. So there's that money for that program. Then there's also money for digital inclusion activities, which is very important and, and really kudos to national digital inclusion Alliance, many other advocates who have been beating the drum on the need for this. Um, but, but it's just, it's too little. It's, it's not very well designed for the actual needs of people who lack internet access in these cities. Right. And, you know, and then, you know, actually, you know, in listening to you, you know, mention about the, uh, the EBB, I happen to be one of the, uh, one of the massive, uh, uh, audience members that, that, that watch that connect this. And, uh, you know, from what I could ascertain from, from Travis in particular, the EBB has got, there's, there's a lot that could be improved with that for that to, to work. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt and Jessica talking about their experience as new ISPs trying to get into it. And it sounded like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't totally clarify. I'm not the best host in the world, but it sounded like Travis basically gave up on him. Um, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I heard, yeah, I heard him say that basically like, look, I won't do it again. Right. Yeah. Because you know, he'll do something just... different. And when the guy is committed and as good as Travis is, uh, says, you know what, forget it. I won't do it again. That's that's a red flag that this program needs to be fine tuned in a way that makes it so that the Travises of the world can participate in a meaningful way and not and not have the taste smacked out of their mouth. Yeah, and let's be clear. Travis has many tens of thousands of subscribers. A lot of small ISPs don't have that many. He said he had three full time employees that were working on it at one period. That's half of the staff of a lot of small ISPs. Like they they can't do that. Uh, because the FCC or USAC, the uh, Universal Service Administrative Company, can't bother to design a working website or staff it correctly, which, frankly, might be Congress's fault for not appropriating the right amount of money to support mm-hmm. such an effort. But, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no shortage of blame to go around. But the simple fact is this stuff doesn't work. And and because it's just poor people who get screwed by it, uh, a lot of a lot of folks don't notice. And it's right. not a priority to fix. Right. A lot of, a lot of shoulder shrugging. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, which the, the, and so therefore that's that that's why I consider that that part of the the the, the bill at this point, uh, you know, as being not good at all. Right, and now let's be clear: the the cable and telephone companies they're they're fighting against this. They want to kill the whole thing off, but they've already had some major wins. Um, mm-hmm. We would have liked to have seen. Um, the definition of underserved being right. less than 100, 100, which should be very future oriented. Uh, they, one, 100 over 20. I yeah. Now, it's, now it's 100 yeah. over 20. And um, that is, uh, it's reasonable. I mean, for like today, uh, it, I worry a lot about networks that are built that um, will be subsidized in several years that will be able to barely do 120 because I mean, this is the reality, right? It's just like, 
25.3 is the definition. So you get a bunch of DSL systems that claim to offer 25.3 and they deliver 10 by one. And, um, and that's still considered broadband and depending on, you know, who you talk to, um, some of the, some of the wireless systems that will be built by people that are, that are going out and, uh, pushing the envelope more than the ISPs. We typically highlight the ones that are responsible and deliver the, the highest quality services. You know, they'll be advertising 100 by 20, but they'll be delivering, you know, 50 by 10 or something like that. And, and it's going to be hard for families to keep up in several years with, with a connection like that, I think. So, so yeah, I worry about this. And would you would you say that the uh, the the hundred by twenty that is mainly sort of a, uh, a the the fingerprints of of Wisp, right? I mean, they're they're the ones that no, would... I don't think so. I mean, the, no? the Wisps agree, but the thing is, like, Wisps don't have any more political power than we do. Like, like if 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 someone right out there was talking about this and they were like, they're like, oh man, like Sean and Chris really got this amazing thing through Congress. Um, you and I would be like, yeah, maybe like we don't have a lot of juice on the Hill, you know, like we definitely have some folks that, that take us seriously. We really appreciate that. You know, we, we write the best we can to influence people and, and that sort of a thing, but like it's the cable companies and the, and the telcos that got that hundred by 20, I think, um, they're, they're, they're coordinated maybe with the wisps and some of that messaging. But I think if it was the wisps alone pushing for 100 by 20, I don't think Congress would listen to them. I mean, I think Congress should listen to WISPs more than they do, frankly. Um, and I agree with WISPs on a fair amount of stuff. But, um, you know, on the, on the speed thing, we disagree a little bit. But I don't think it was the WISPs that, that led to the watering down of the definition of, of who is underserved. Mm. But certainly, I guess there's this argument out there that you don't want to build that essentially defines things so that, you know, fiber is the only way that you're able to meet those goals. Yeah, I mean, that's what people will say. And I... I don't know. Like, I mean, it, to me, it seems like to some extent going back 70 years and saying we should build some of our highways out of dirt because there's an industry that, that likes building dirt highways. And, and we, not, you know, you don't, you don't need to put like a ton of, uh, of 18 wheelers across every single highway, you know, like, um, and you, and frankly, prior to the interstates, we didn't have that, right. It was because we overbuilt the interstates to, mm-hmm. to a level that would accommodate future demand that we arranged our econ- economy the way we did. And there are pros to that, and there's definitely cons to that. Like, <laughs> a few of these things. Fortunately, the negative externalities of building a better broadband system are somewhat less than building a bigger highway system, uh, as we found out for all manner of, of both like, cultural and economic reasons. Mm. Yeah, and um, there's not a whole lot of uh, greenhouse gases produced by um, broadband networks, I would imagine. Not as many um, compared to the, to the highways. So, uh, but yeah, but I mean like that's, it comes back to this point of like this idea of like, well, um, I mean, to be snarky about it, which some do, you know, building the infrastructure of the future is not a participation sport. Like we shouldn't have um, trophies, participation trophies, as some people say, um, which actually just so people know is a line that goes back to the fifties. Like it was in the fifties when people started complaining about how kids were getting participation trophies. It's really? Does it? Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. I was thought I I thought that that was something new. Not the idea of participation trophies, but this this outrage of of their existence. Like, really? I <laughs> like we're gonna pick on the kids these days, or you know, the particip- Like, I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. But the, the, the argument that comes back to is just this idea of like, like we want to build infrastructure that never has to be, uh, or at least not in like in many decades does not have to be re-subsidized. Uh, and if you're building a network that's 100 by 20, uh, in this decade, I would guess you're going to be lining up for more subsidies to that household that's served by 120 uh, uh, network. That's unfortunate. And that's fiscally irresponsible. 
So, hey, we're running out of time. We've been spending a lot of time on the infrastructure bill. Um, there's a lot to go on. We're going to do more of a postmortem once it passes. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the things that I love so I can feel that knife in my back when uh, they get ripped out of it in the last minute. <laughs> so, um, so tell us about Ocala, uh, Florida. You just, you just recently talked to Mel Poole down there. He's a past guest on the podcast. Yes. Uh, what's, going on with, what's going on with Ocala? The horse capital of the world. I did not know that until um, I started uh, digging into o Ocala, which is uh, a city in, um, not too far from Orlando in, in, uh, in, in central Florida there. And so they, I mean, they've been delivering high-speed internet service to area businesses and anchor institutions and public entities for, uh, for a while now, over a decade. But in t 2019, they launched uh, residential service and they are now serving 2,500 residential subscribers. And I think the thing that is probably interesting about Ocala is that they're, they're, they've taken this incremental approach. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's uh, self-funded. Uh, you know, they've got enterprise funds set up. Uh, the initial money for the core network came from their uh, electric department. And, and, um, and I think it was a loan, right? It was a loan. And so they've been taking this in incremental approach. They rolled out this uh, pilot network, essentially, to four different neighborhoods. Um, their take rate, they were shooting for 30%. But in one of the neighborhoods, the largest of the neighborhood, which has 1,000 homes, they've got a 42% take rate. Um, there's another neighborhood where they're not doing quite as well or, or not, you know, they're somewhere around a 10% take rate. Um, and this is fairly, you know, early on in the process, but, you know, Mel thinks that's more of a educational challenge. Um, you know, you got to keep in mind some of the demographics sometimes in some of these areas, uh, much like the Cape, there's an older demographic that lives there. You know, some folks there, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I, I like my cable, you know. I, right. Well, I, especially when my guess is what happens is Mel rolls up personally, I'm sure. He goes door to door and, and he tells people, I'm Mel. And uh, I've got a sixty um, a $60 a month option for you uh, with this 300 megabit service. And um, and then what happens is Comcast comes up next and they're like, hey, we're Comcast. How about if we charge you twenty five dollars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, these people that, that don't care as much about the 300 megabits symmetrical, yep. they're going to be like, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. I'm going to get that for two years. Yeah, I'm going to take that for sure. So I would love to see the study on how much that neighborhood is paying now relative to what it had been paying before. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, I, I think over the next three to ten years, they'd like to. uh you know, go citywide with the with, with the fiber network. That is estimated to cost uh, ninety million dollars. Um, so they're you know they'll be looking at various ways of of of, of funding that, including um, looking for um, whatever kind of grant funding they might be able to get through you know the state or through the federal government. Um, so that you know another thing that I thought was pretty interesting is they recently got a smart city award. Um, from IDC Government Insights, and it's in, and they really shine during the pandemic in terms of, you know, the the increased bandwidth that their existing business customers, healthcare facilities needed during the pandemic, and and now uh, they were able to provide that easily. And one of the things I thought was really cool is that uh, the the county has set up a vaccination site at the local mall, and you know, just to show you that that even though, you know, sometimes municipalities, you know, the, the, the opponents of municipal networks like to make it sound like this stuff is way too complicated for municipalities to, to deal with. In Ocala, there was a need for uh, a fiber connection 
um, so that they could access access medical records and 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 digitally document folks getting vaccinations. And they were able to provide that uh, fiber uh, connection within 24 hours. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, and so those they, 24 hours were spread out over three weeks, though. No, I'm just <laughs> no, it was literally 24 hours. Yeah. So, um, so that, that, that was pretty cool about Ocala. And then there's a few other uh, communities um, that wrote about recently, uh, Fairlawn. Right. And uh, people, if people are confused also, some of this is writing for stuff that's going to be published in a report soon. So uh, yes. not all of this is visible. So don't go crazy trying to find it on the, on the open internet right away. Right. The, the, the story on Ocala is, is, is on muninet.org. Muninetworks.org, yep. Muninetworks.org, yes. Um, and then also recently wrote about um, uh, Fairlawn and Medina County, both, both communities Medina, in Ohio. I think. I'm pretty Medina. sure it's Medina, yeah. Medina. Oh, my goodness. Medina. That's important to get that stuff right. Um, in Fairlawn. You know, it's not going to get caught by a spell check. <laughs> <laughs> Good, but I, it's, you know, it, when you're from a community and you hear somebody mispronounce it, though, it's painful. Yeah, no, it's true. So Fairlawn is right next to, to Medina County, uh, the city of Fairlawn, just outside Akron. Uh, what's going on in Fairlawn? And I should say, we've had Ernie Staten on before. He's a director of public service, I think, or public. He's a director of public stuff in, yes. <laughs> in Fairlawn. Um, what's going on there most recently? Well, they're just continuing to, uh, to expand in Akron, Bath, Fairlawn, uh, Joint Economic Development District. Um, you know, this, this network has been, I mean, only 7,500 people live in Fairlawn, but apparently the population swells to about 40,000 during the workday. Yeah, I've been so there. Many people, there's a so lot many of businesses. People, so many people are coming in there, and there's a lot of businesses there. And a big reason why there's a lot of businesses there is because of this network. It's, it's really been a magnet for economic development and, or for attracting businesses and therefore really, you know, given that, that, that region uh, a, uh, a real economic development boost. Um, yeah, folks from Europe have come over. Um, businesses from Europe have expanded to Fairlawn and, and industrial facilities and business parks and stuff because of the network specifically. I've read articles about that. And, 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 and that's a similar story in Medina where, where their network uh, has been a very, very much a tool for economic development there. In fact, that's that's really their focus. There is is is, is to use that network to um, to enhance economic development. You know, it, which is one thing that you know sometimes in kind of like uh, uh, you know kitchen table kind of conversations can can get overlooked. And so when you talk about fiber to the home networks, you know, there's so much more um, uh, there, there there's so many more benefits to to having them in addition to, you know, being able to have, you know, multiple Zoom meetings in, in, in a home and, and, and remote work and, and, and so on and so forth. Like all of those things are at the top of mind and are very important, but there's all of these sort of ancillary benefits that, that come with these networks in terms of the impact that it has in a community. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, these networks are all dynamic too. Uh, you know, Fairlawn's built out to every citizen in town, but they're working with the county to expand to nearby folks. And I forget what county they're in, but it is right next to Medina. You know, Medina is working with the local towns to figure out how they can expand uh, that network. They're working with uh, lit communities with Brian Snyder uh, and, right. and the team. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things happening. Um, one of the things we're going to try and do is, I think, do more of these shows, Sean, where we come on, we talk about something with some meat in it, and then we talk about some of the reporting you've been doing. And and we'll see how that goes. And like I said, I, I like that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully your, your, your inbox will be crushed with fan mail saying <laughs> you've got to have Sean on there like on the regular. Um, 
you know, before we go, though, I should we should just mention, though, Fairlawn and Medina um, did play a big role in um, killing that Ohio budget amendment. Um, if folks aren't familiar, you know, we, we, we had a lot of coverage on this, but the Senate in, uh, in Ohio, the state Senate, uh, tried to sneak in a, a budget amendment that would have essentially killed municipal broadband in the state of Ohio. And Fairlawn and Medina were really out front on this and really got a lot of their constituents and so forth to, to write letters and emails and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. So, so a lot of credit should go to the folks in Fairlawn and Medina for, for helping to convince the governor and the lieutenant governor and, 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 and the, uh, the state legislature that, that an amendment that would have killed municipal broadband would have been really dumb. I mean, we just got through talking about how important these networks have been to the economic health of these communities. And here you have, uh, you know, this, this Senate amendment that was saying, yeah, but we want to get rid of that stuff. Yes. And, and what's interesting is that Ohio is one of these places where there's a lot of odd things happening. Um, in, in that, I mean, for instance, like mega, mega corruption with the monopoly utility company and some of the, um, and the, I think it was the, the speaker of the house, a Republican, um, you have, um, the lieutenant governor and the governor who could have quietly tried to kill the municipal broadband, that anti-municipal broadband amendment, but they came out publicly mm -hmm. and said, no, no, this is the wrong way to go. I think that's, that's really remarkable. And then Senator Portman, uh, Republican, uh, has been a real leader. Uh, he was, uh, he's on the bridge act, uh, which is great legislation from the, uh, from, uh, Michael Bennett and Senator King, Senator Michael Bennett, um, Senator King, and I'm probably forgetting another one or two folks who deserve recommendation. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just it's interesting because we do see these schisms where you know the the folks in Arkansas that in the legislature who are almost all Republicans, they really don't want to see bans on municipal networks, and yet the senators that they've sent to D.C. do. Um, and it's, it's interesting as we see different dividing lines among the Republican Party. In this it is. Space. I mean, it, you know, of course, and we've talked about this before. Arkansas is another example. They they. The state legislature there is dominated by Republicans. They got rid of their municipal ban essentially in in its entirety, and yet, you know, you've got a you know a group of senators in D.C. who submitted legislation that's kind of dangling out there to to um, preempt localities from getting into uh, municipal broadband. So, so it's it's as as we said at the top of the program, it's a mixed bag. As always, there's always nuance. There's 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 always exceptions to the rule. We, you know, we, we, we shall move forward. It's good. It will be interesting to see what happens ultimately with this infrastructure uh, bill um, in, in total. I mean, if, if it even gets passed. Yeah. And so let me just say that I feel like there's one other accomplishment we should discuss. And that's, you know, based on discussions you and I have had over the course of the week and the kind of day that I'm having, uh, we got through the show with a clean tag. And uh, that's remarkable. Wow. <laughs> Well, maybe, wow, maybe, maybe you should give, drop an F bomb real quick. No, no, I was <laughs> just going to say, maybe, maybe you should give blood every before every podcast. Well, um, it's great talking to you, Sean. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, go have some more cranberry juice and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Okay. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. 
Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.